We are in a rough climate. Find out what I mean on this episode of Pushback. you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone. This is Pushback, and I'm Dr. Johnny, and I want to talk to you uh, on this podcast about two headlines that really popped up this week. You know, I learned very early in this podcast to not plan ahead too much because you never know what's going to happen week to week. And so I try to sort of sit in that position of sort of seeing what the culture is going to bring me as far as headlines and and, uh, various things to discuss with you on this podcast. And this week, there are two headlines that I I guess two um, newsworthy events that I think are very important. They're tied together. One you're probably very aware of, the other probably not so much. And so I want to talk about that. The first is that you may have noticed that noticed that gas prices went up about 40 to 50 cents a gallon. Uh, it just seemed like over about the last 10 days or so, uh, skyrocketing gas prices again. And so we're all feeling that. It's a, it's a tangible feel to our bottom line, no matter what business or occupation you are in. But the second headline uh, that caught my attention this week is this. More than 1,600 scientists, 1,600, you know how hard it is to get 1,600 scientists that know what they're talking about to agree on anything? More than 1,600 scientists, including two Nobel laureates, have signed a declaration saying, wait for it, drumroll, there is no climate emergency. (laughs) The declaration is unlikely to get any attention from the mainstream media, unfortunately, but it is important for people to know about. The mass climate hysteria and the destruction of the U.S. economy in the name of climate change needs to stop. It's a pretty big headline when you think about who is listed in this group and just the sheer number of scientists that now are teaming together to try to stop this hysteria, this this um, boulder that seems to be rolling down the hill that nobody can seem to stand in the way or get in the way. But if you look at the logo for my podcast, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to push back when something seems like it's out of alignment in our culture. And this has certainly been the case over this past decade. Let me just give you a few salient points. This was summarized by Robert Williams uh, just September 10th, um, entitled The Climate Emergency is a Hoax. So let me give you the salient points of what these scientists have claimed and said in their press release. Climate science should be less political, Why climate policy should be more scientific says the declaration signed by 1,609 scientists, including Nobel laureates John F. Klauser from the U.S. and Ivar Giaver from Norway, U.S. Climate policies uh, relies on inadequate models. Climate models have many shortcomings that are not uh, remotely plausible as policy tools. They ignore the fact, for instance, that enriching the atmosphere with CO2 is beneficial. 
There is no statistical evidence that global warming is intensifying hurricanes, floods, droughts, and such like natural disasters are making them more frequent. All you've been seeing, of course, over the last month is headlines that the Maui wildfires is just another example of global warming. He writes in his summary, I was taught that you tell the whole truth as a scientist. He noted as well the immorality of asking the developing world to cut down emissions when so many do not even have access to electricity and the immorality of scarring the younger generations. I will get to that in just a second. Of course, it would be helpful to research what can be done to relieve the problems brought about by man, such as the hole in the ozone layer, which is now closing. But climate change is not an apocalyptic emergency and needs to be attended to without bringing devastation to the hundreds of million people already in extreme poverty. Widespread poverty and massive starvation that will be caused by the unavailability of cheap and reliable energy in underdeveloped countries uh, or the inflation caused by the skyrocketing prices that are crushing Americans barely able to afford one meal a day. And that's what we've been seeing at the pump again this week. Never mind that much of climate change is, is apparently caused by sun flares, which we can do nothing about. Let me just read that again. Much of climate change is apparently caused by sun flares, about which we can do nothing, and which, unlike commercial industries, do not offer grants, or that wildfires are, ironically, exacerbated by environmentalists for refusing to let tinderbox brush be cleared, lest the creatures there be disturbed other than by a wildfire. <laughs> My friend, I live in Minnesota, and we've been dealing with haze all summer from Canadian wildfires. There's been much more evidence and research coming out that it's actually the environmentalists that are leaving these conditions ripe for the fires. And oh, by the way, volcanoes and wildfires contributing to the CO2 levels in our atmosphere, even much greater than man can. Only when green energy is cheaper than fossil fuels will the world be able and willing to make the transition. Otherwise, today's energy prices are just a taste of things to come. So you see why these two news events are intrinsically connected. He goes on to say, the geological archive reveals that the Earth's climate has varied as long as the planet has existed with natural cold and warm phases. The Little Ice Age ended as recently as 1850. Therefore, it's no surprise that we are now experiencing a period of warming. And of course, those of us that believe the Bible, uh, believe in creation and believe in the flood, also realize that we should be warming gradually over time. But here's the next line. Warm, the warming is actually far slower than predicted. Now, why is that not a headline? Why is that not being laid out on the front page? The gap between the real world and the model world tells us that we are far from understanding climate change. That's a nice way of saying we've been talking about this all wrong. We're actually warming less than we ought to. Global warming has not increased natural disasters. There's no significant evidence that global warming is intensifying hurricanes, floods, droughts, or making them more frequent. However, there is ample evidence that CO2 mitigation measures are as damaging as they are costly. 
Therefore, climate policy must respect scientific and economic realities. There is no climate emergency. Therefore, there is no cause for panic and alarm. We strongly oppose the harmful and unrealistic net zero CO2 policies proposed for 2050. My friends, there's so many layers going on here, so many things uh, at stake. Uh, Are we being misled? Are we being lied to? Um, Are these scientists wrong? Do we need to dig into what they have at stake? Is there a secondary gain for them releasing this? Should we just buck it up and pay the extra price at the gas tank because that's our civic duty in helping the environment? See, Really what this all comes down to is science. And, and if you've heard my previous podcast, you know that I'm passionate about science because I, because I, because I is one. <laughs> I am a scientist. And, and I have been taught and trained in the art and the practice of scientific truth, of, of decision-making, of evidence-based decision-making. And I've had people that disagreed with me about my vaccination stance and, and all of these different things in the past two or three years. But my heart was always evidence-based medicine and releasing my recommendations to you and to your families. Because that's a scientific fact. Do we always get it right? Of course not. But the pursuit of truth is the key and the foundation of science. Now, we don't need to be intimidated by that as Christians because God created science. We're just discovering the very thing that he created for us. So there's no intimidation. Where we become intimidated is when secular scientists um, actually avoid the truth that they are the foundation upon which they're standing. They actually leave that platform and move into a political um, uh, financial realm that actually guides and steers their decision making. And that, my friends, is no longer science. See, I titled this Rough Climate because this is about climate change. It used to be called global warming, but then when they found out the data actually didn't support that anymore, they called it climate change. It's not just about climate change. It's about the culture in which we are studying the climate. It's a rough culture. We are in a difficult situation. See, I talked about in prior podcasts about about discerning headlines and discerning the way that we receive information and the way that we process information, such as on a podcast like this, which is a conveyor of information to you, my listeners. And there's and there is a such a value in in the current industry, whether it be sports, news, politics, to have the eye-catching headline so that you can generate clicks. It's the social media world in which we live. It's about clicks. It's about connecting with people, whether it's true or not. Well, as sobering and as scary as it is to tell you this in this podcast, this mindset, this culture has actually infiltrated into the culture of science. See, we have to understand how science works today when you have climate scientologists, climatologists who are studying climate and they are doing research. Guess where their grant money is coming from? Yes, it can be from some corporations. It can be from some uh, perhaps nonprofit uh, do-gooders. 
but most of their funding is coming from the government. So we have to understand that the government isn't going to throw money at projects and at grants that don't align with their current conversation, with their transcript, <laughs> with what they're trying to convey to their audience. And so there is this place where scientists are trying to get published into magazines that all they do is care about, about eye-catching headlines and clicks, and they're being funded by a government who only cares about their narrative, which is the sky is falling. <laughs> and these scientists are being brave enough to come out and actually sign a declaration that says that this is a hoax, this isn't real, this is, this is coming from people um, who are actually looking to perhaps even deceive us to create a narrative that isn't even true? So that's a big statement, Dr. Johnny, to make. So what is the motive? Are these, are these just well-meaning people who really want to just protect the world and the earth? I think some of them are. I'm not being so bold to say that the hearts of the people are all skewed, but I believe that there are people who are being deceived. And what is the motive? Well, the motive is a motive that has been present since the Garden of Eden. It's about power and money. See, it's not only governments and businesses that are supplying grant money. It's lobbyists. It's, there, there's big money to be made in the environmental climate change world. And I'm talking big money. There are contracts being thrown out and your taxpayer's money being doled out to these companies purveying products such as electric cars and wind turbines without any regard to the fact that the products they're making is as or more harmful on the environment than the, environment, than the environmental changes that they're trying to make. It's crazy. I don't, I don't have time in this podcast to go into all the minutia of, of what it takes to harvest and create a battery <laughs> or how many marine life has been killed by, by marine wind turbines or the forest fires <laughs> being started because the thatch underneath the dead material can't be removed. My friends, there's lists over and over and over again that we're actually not creating the results that we are looking to create through these formulated plans by our government. See, they mentioned before that a tactic to create voter enthusiasm in regards to these policies, because if these people are simply voted out of office, guess what? These policies go away. So there has to be some voter enthusiasm and there are scare tactics. Literally, the little red hen in the sky is falling. That is the scare tactic. If you don't do something now, your children will inherit less of an earth or no earth at all. And there is real fear in the young uh, generation who really do want to protect our planet and do the right thing. But they're being misled and they're being misled by scientists 
with actually unpure motives. There's an article titled, I left out the full truth to get my climate change paper published. <laughs> it's by Patrick Brown, just released on September 5th. The subtitle is, I just got published in Nature because I stuck to a narrative I knew the editors were like, and that's not the way science should work. So this is a cultural problem. This is why I got my attention for this podcast, because this is a cultural problem. And the very first realm, I believe, maybe the first realm would be those who are religious leaders. The church itself should be the first realm who sticks to a absolute moral platform. The next realm should be our scientists who look for and discover truth. I believe that realm should be unmovable. In a weird sort of way, the liberal media acting like they're acting right now doesn't surprise me. And and again, they're being motivated by money and clicks and and have completely gone off the rails in regards to any kind of journalistic integrity. That doesn't surprise me. But it surprises me when the church moves off of their rails and science moves off of their rails. That frustrates me and that gets me angry and fired up to release truth about what science is really all about. So this man, Patrick Brown, just wanted to pull back the curtains a little bit and talk about what he faces as a scientist to try to even be notarized, to, to, be, to be noticed, to be recognized by a publication. Let me just read, I won't go into all the details of what he talks about. It's a, it's a little bit of a whiny paper about why um, some of his things aren't getting published. But, but I think it's very insightful. And there's a couple paragraphs at the end that I really want to connect to. He says, the number of researchers have skyrocketed in recent years. There are close to six times more PhDs earned in the U.S. each year than there were in the early 1960s. That's just, you know, 50, 60 years ago. It has become more difficult than ever to stand out from the crowd. So while there's always been a tremendous premium placed on publishing in journals like Nature and Science, it's also become extraordinarily more competitive. In theory, scientific research should prize curiosity, dispassionate obje objectivity, and a commitment to uncovering the truth. Surely those are qualities that editors in scientific journals should value. In reality, though, the biases of the editors and the reviewers they call upon to evaluate the submissions, exert a major influence on the collective output of entire fields. They select what gets published from a large pool of entries, and in doing so, they also shape how research is conducted more broadly. Savvy researchers tailor their studies to maximize the likelihood that their work is accepted. I know this because I am one of them. And here how, here's how it works. He gives three basic ideas. The first thing the astute climate researcher knows is that his or her work should support the mainstream narrative, namely that the effects of climate change are both pervasive and catastrophic, and that the primary way to deal with them is not by employing practical adaptation measures like stronger or more resilient infrastructure, better zoning and building codes, more air conditioning, or in the case of wildfires, better forest management, or undergrounding power lines but through policies like the Inflation Reduction Act aimed at reducing greenhouse gas emissions. This leads to a second unspoken rule in writing a successful climate paper. The author should ignore, or at least downplay, practical actions that can counter the impact of climate change. Here's a third trick. 
Be sure to focus on metrics that will generate the most eye-popping numbers. Eye-catching headlines, eye-popping numbers. You know that most people only just read headlines. They don't always read the whole articles like I've been doing for this podcast. They just look at the headlines. And then they just assume that it's true because it's written by a scientist. But here's what he says at the end. But climate scientists shouldn't have to exile themselves from academia to publish the most useful versions of their research. Number one, we need a culture change. That's why this article caught my attention. This podcast is all about culture change. We need a culture change across academia, academia and elite media that allows for a much broader conversation on societal resilience to climate. Number two, the media, for instance, should stop accepting these papers at face value and do some digging on what's been left out. What? Journalists actually doing digging? <laughs> Sorry about the sarcasm. But a scientist is calling for journalists to actually research what they're writing so that what they're releasing is actually true and accurate. The editors of the prominent journals need to expand beyond a narrow focus that pushes the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions in the case of this story. Number three, the researchers themselves need to start standing up to editors or find other places to publish. Now that's a hard one because that affects the pocketbook. That affects your notoriety. That affects your fame and future grants. So that's a tough one. But it's about pushing back. If you're a scientist listening to this podcast, you have to stand up. You have to push back because it's about science. It's the actual thing that you studied and care about. And you have to have the highest value on truth. And lastly, what really should matter isn't citations for the journals, clicks for the media, or career status for the academics, but research that actually helps society. My friends, at the end of the day, that's what it's about. That's why I'm a physician. That's why other people are scientists. We're here to actually help people. And we do. We follow the science in order to help you the most. And I don't want to just be a biased podcaster, just taking and cherry picking one side of the equation either. But from my research and certainly backed up by 1,609 scientists this week, I believe that this climate change emergency is a hoax. I believe it's a power grab and I believe that there's big money in it. That's the motivation. And the politicians are teetering right now because we don't like it. We don't like the prices at the gas pump and we don't like the fact that we're being told how to live and what to do and we have to steer our way from the way we want to live our lives. We don't, we don't like that as a society. The politicians are teetering. They need you to be convinced that the sky is falling. So watch very closely the narrative. Stand up and push back and make people actually support and stand up for what they're saying, not just because Joe Blow scientist says so. The data has to back it up and the data just simply isn't there. Thank you for listening to me again this week. I, I love being a scientist, and that's a hat that I wear on this podcast as well, and I hope you appreciate it too. So spread the news about the podcast. You can go to pushbackculture.org uh, and also go to gofam.org to check out our other resources available to you. Thank you for listening again this week. I so value you, your family, 
and I do value our culture. So let's go together now to set and shape the culture. Thank you.